Ephesians is six chapters, and uh, chapters one, two, and three um, is really a pretty extended doctrinal statement put out by the Apostle Paul to the Christians that are in Ephesus. And he goes through uh, the doctrine of um, adoption and redemption and election, and he really lays out some good uh, but, but pretty, pretty strong stuff, uh, doctrine of grace, uh, which can be hard to get your head around sometimes. And then he takes a shift. Uh, at the end of chapter 3, he really ends it with a benediction. Um, now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask um, or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, amen is usually is, is the end, uh, but it's in the middle of the book. So, so the first three chapters are really doctrinal. Now the, the, the second three chapters are very practical. The implications of what this means. What, is this, what does this look like? All right, we've got this stuff. This is maybe a little bit more textbook that you need to get, you need to understand. But then it moves into what does this look like today? What does this look like tomorrow? What does this look like as you interact with your family, with your boss, uh, with people that you, you don't even get along? What does this look like in the body of Christ? And so that's what 4, 5, and 6 look like. So we begin with chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 16. If you have it, uh, I'd like to follow along. I'd like you to follow along. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and defeat in, in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself, itself up in love. It's a pretty long piece of scripture there, but I'm excited about what, uh, what I feel like this is telling us. It begins and says in, in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now again, this is the beginning of a new, a new section of instruction that Paul has to the Ephesians. So if you're, if you're taking notes, I would say this answers the question, what? Like what are you supposed to do? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What are you supposed to do, Ephesians? Paul is saying, 
walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How? The next question that is, that is asked. What, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to do it? Verse 2, with all humility. There's four things. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, the Super Bowl is coming. Um, it's today. Kickoff off is 625. <laughs> I, how many of you played sports at, like for a team at any point in your life? All right. Um, I got I got thinking. I don't know why. I think I was driving. My mind was wandering. I got thinking about what it must be like to play season after season at the professional <laughs> level and not win. I mean, because I mean, it seems like that's kind of the the goal. If, if you're if you're an athlete and um, you know you want to win the Super Bowl, like ultimately that's the goal. I think that a lot of people might might be in it for the money, but I mean, the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. I mean, anybody who has grown up playing Pee Wee sports or into high school sports, you, you want to win. Nobody likes losing. Nobody's in it, in it to lose. And I got thinking about what must it be like to be, to be good and to be playing at the professional level and then you just not make it. I mean, you're giving it your, your all. I mean, you, you've dedicated and committed your life. Even though you're getting a, a significant salary, it's all about the game. You know, and they play games on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter if your wife just had a child, or it doesn't even matter if maybe your father died. But, like, you need to be at the game, you know? I mean, it, it's, it, it's there. And that level of commitment um, has got to be burdensome if, you, if, you're, if you're playing with, with everything, um, and you don't get to the big game. And I think that we can read a piece of scripture like this, and we can kind of numb over it sometimes when it says, walk in a manner... Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, I get that, that we're all supposed to, if we're Christians, we're supposed to be Christianly, right? <laughs> you know, walk in a manner of, of course, we're supposed to do the things that we're, you know, we're, we're called to do. But if you, if you rephrase this, just to maybe wrap our heads around it a little bit more, a little bit better, if this were a game, and, and you're part of one of the teams that's playing in the Super Bowl, and the coach says to you, as inspiration, as, as your leader, and he says... I urge you, I'm, I'm calling upon you to play the game in a manner worthy of the level of the Super Bowl. Okay? I, I'm urging you to play this, this game in such a way, all right, that, that you recognize the gravity of this game. This is the pinnacle. This is the top. This will, will, this will be a part of your career that you will hold on to forever. Not, that, not just that you played the end in the NFL, but that you won a Super Bowl, that you have the ring, you know, and that you, you will, from this point on, be defined as a Super Bowl world champion. Walk in a way worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Play in a way that is worthy of this great task that is ahead of us. And then it goes on and says, well, how, how do you do that? You play with humility. I don't know that you play football with gentleness. Um, Paul calls them to live a life of humility, of gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And look at verse 3. It says, eager, excited, driving to, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That by living a life that is humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, then that means... By so doing, you are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Michael Jordan may be known as one of the best 
athletes in the world, definitely one of the best basketball players in the world, didn't start winning championships until he upped his, his team game. Individually, he was awesome. And, uh, but he didn't win championships right away. And they say that when he started becoming a little bit more of a team player, all right, working at not necessarily scoring as much points, but working with the team, boom, 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 the team got better, you know? When he moved from one to unified, the team got better. So it, it really almost didn't matter how excellent he was until he brought himself into the context of the whole. So Paul is telling the believers here that there is strength and value in the body, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that if you want to win the Super Bowl, if you want to live in a manner worthy of, of this, then it needs to be more than just you. That we, as a team, are the ones who win the Super Bowl. No one person wins the Super Bowl. You know that, right? You might have somebody who stands out, but no one person wins. If it, were the, if it were the Seattle Seahawks versus Peyton Manning, Peyton would lose. You know? It would just, it would just, ha he needs the team, even if he's excellent himself. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what are you supposed to do? Walk in a, in a manner worthy of your calling. How? In humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Now, if you're talking about humility and, and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, it assumes that that deals with other people, you know? If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're having to walk in humility, you're having to walk in humility in the context of community. You're not, you're not simply asked to be a, a gentle, a vague, gentle spirit. Uh, if, if you're asked um, to be patient, then that means that you need to be patient with people who are difficult, right? Like, nobody is just patient by themselves. You need a difficult situation for you to become a patient person. You following? All right, so Paul is saying, listen, there, there, there's, there's something worthy that you are supposed to pursue. And that pursuit involves something bigger, that you are supposed to be unified into a greater entity. And it is the body of Christ. All right, the unity, the gathering together of believers. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody's completely familiar with the body of Christ, but we see, we, we see throughout the New Testament that when the Christians gather together, it is called the church, capital C. Even if you have different gatherings of small churches, lowercase c. Together, it is the church. And another word for that is the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, what are we called to? I urge you... Verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, that sounds nice. What, what does that really look like? Well, all of that was explained in the doctrinal section of chapter 1, 2, and 3. All right? Believers are called, chapter 1, verse 4, to holiness and blamelessness. Uh, believers are called to be sons and daughters through adoption. Chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 11, they are called to obtain an inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 18, that they are called to know the hope and the riches of the glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Believers are called to good works. Chapter 2, verse 10, believers are called to be brought near to God as opposed to non-believers. Chapter 2, verse 13, believers are called to peace. Believers are called to have an access to the Father which is unavailable to those that do not believe. And believers are called to be built together into a holy temple with Christ 
and the other saints. So it's a high calling. It's a good calling. But it's, it's a big calling, isn't it? It's not, hey, you're called to uh, not cuss. <laughs> hey, you're called to make sure that you're um, you know, serving the homeless. No, you're called to be holy. You're called to be blameless. Not good. You're called to be holy and blameless. You're, you're called to peace. You're, you're called to a, a greater purpose. You're called to immeasurable riches. Immeasurable riches. You know, literally undefined amounts of, of riches that are available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are called to these things. Walk in a manner worthy of this great calling in which you have been called. What are you supposed to do? That. How are you supposed to do it? With humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with the other people who are difficult. And this is, this is not talking about the jerk at work. All right, this is not talking about your unsaved family member. This is talking about believers in humility with the body of Christ. You're supposed to have patience with other people that worship your same God and, and are just different than you or difficult than you or maybe struggling with some sort of sin and they're doing things maybe that they legitimately should not be doing, but you are called to bear with them in love, it says in verse 2. Why? Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit so that together we can win the Super Bowl, <laughs> so that together we can attain and live in a worthy way according to the calling that we've been called. That's the what and that's the how. Verse 4 is answers the question, why? What are you supposed to do? Live in a manner worthy of the calling. How? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Why? Verse 4. This is, the, this is a statement of a whole bunch of ones. It says one, 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 one. There's seven different ones here. It answers the question why, verse 4. Because there's one body, meaning the body of Christ, and there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, within this body. All right. Assuming that all of us are believers in this room, we are one. We are one. That we are not individuals, but we are one body in Christ. And part of this one body is that there's one spirit that is working in my life. And there's one spirit that is working in Anthony's life. And that same spirit is the spirit that is working in Deborah's life. It's not like Anthony is called to one form of, of walking worthy. And Deborah is called to another form. And, and Ryan, yet another. And there's different spirits. And maybe we have a common... You know, a common gist? No. It's one. One body and one spirit. <coughs> Just as you were called to one hope, meaning that we all have the same hope. We all have the same goal. We all have the same uh, desire that we have a hope that is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When you go through all these ones, there's actually a pattern here. It's a pattern that we see uh, represented um, by the Trinity. Um, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, listen to this quote by Harold Honer, who is a, um, a commentator. He says, referring to verses 4 through 6 here, One body, us, is vitalized by one spirit, so that all believers have one hope. It's the same hope. The hope that I have is the same hope 
that bow has. It's the same. That the body, this one body, is united by one Lord, meaning Jesus Christ. By each member, one act of faith, in which when we became believers, we had a faith, and we identify with him, Jesus Christ, and it is depicted by the one baptism. Then when we are baptized, we are, uh, we've, um, it's symbolically have been put to death and raised back to life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And one God the Father is supreme over all, who operates through all, and resides in all, and he works through all. All seven components are unified through the Trinity. So you have the body, which has the spirit. Then we all have one faith and one baptism, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is where the gospel fits in. We are shown perfect unity and community through the Trinity. The Trinity is, is a mind-blowing doctrine that says... Um, that there's a Godhead that has the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they are three uh, separate persons in, in one. And, and they all have different responsibilities, yet we have one God. There's, there, there, there's, there's, the, there's a, an amazing, beautiful image of, of unity and community there in God himself. And what we saw in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is that we have been adopted into God's family. Now, we don't become God, but we are brought into that level of, of community. But the way that we are brought into that level of community was by the breaking of that community when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So you have God the Father, you have God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and bore the sin of, of all humanity, God the Father turned his gaze away from God the Son. And therefore, God the Son, Jesus Christ, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the unity and the community of the Trinity was, was broken so that it could be repaired in the sense of bringing the body of Christ, believers, into his family. So, the act of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is an act of recognizing the fact that the perfect unity and community of the Trinity was broken for you, what was broken for me. That it's, it's not just God up there saying, hey, I'm going to work things out for you, but he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to break this level of perfection to offer a way of forgiveness and propitiation that is going to take all the wrath and the death that is due you because you are a sinner and not, not worthy of this level of community and unity so that Jesus Christ will die, the community will be broken, but he will be raised back to life, and the community and the unity of the Trinity will be brought back together, but now with heirs. You and me. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, the, all the doctrine of chapters 1, 2, and 3 is saying, you know, you, you've been... Uh, uh, chosen by grace, unmerited favor. The, 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 there's adoption as sons and daughters into a glorious inheritance, it says. All because of this one, 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 one. Live in a, in a manner worthy of your calling. And that manner worthy of this calling is, is a calling to unity in the body of Christ. That there is a call that you are not individuals, that by yourself you are not how I intended you to be. That by yourself, you are, are broken. 
but I'm not only calling you to be in unity and community with me as God the Father, fixing that and drawing you as, a, in, as an adoption to my family, but for now, while you're on this earth, I am calling you to find family and unity within this body. That your worthy pursuit, that your walk, as I'm calling you to walk, demands involvement in this body. And if you're outside of the body, that's not what I've called you to do. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, quote, this is a reference from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, warfare doesn't happen the same today as it does it did back in, in biblical times. <laughs> I think we all know that. You know, at the end of World War II, um, we did not get new states, you know, Germany and Japan. <laughs> it, it wasn't like we went and conquered them and said, you know what, we've conquered you, now you're ours, and so we're going to, you know, we're going to make you part of the United States. No, we, we sent people over there, and we actually sent building materials to build back up. We sent people to help reestablish the government of Germany and reestablish the government of Japan and let them be their own thing. Back in the day, in Bible times, all right, um, when you conquered somebody, you took them over. And the return of the conquering king uh, was, was, was a glorious celebration of the victory. And so when a king would go out from his country with his armies and they would go and conquer the enemy, they would come back to their home country and they would be leading um, in, in, a, in a big long line, a train of people, uh, their captives, the people that they had, had taken over and they would really become their workforce. And they'd also bring back the spoils of war, you know, all the good stuff. All the crops, all the cattle, all the gold, all the jewels, all the silver, um, everything of, of value, they would go out, they would defeat it, and they would come back. And when they came back, the whole, the whole country would have a celebration. It's like the sports team coming back to the home city, this big ticker tape parade, except instead of everybody saying, hey, good job, they would come back with the spoils of war, and they would be tossing it out to the people back home, you know? Hey, we got all this gold, you know? And so they're dividing the spoils of war. Look what we just did victoriously. Look what we did, just did in, in, as we conquered uh, the foe, the people that were against us, the people who hated us. We won the day. And so it was the home team that did all this, but all, all the workforce and all the people back home that they did it for is, is really able to participate in the spoils war. Um, Isaiah chapter 53, again, an Old Testament reference, but this is a, uh, a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, probably the most well-known passage, or most well-known chapter, but not the most well-known section of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12, says this. Out of the anguish of his soul, referring to Jesus Christ, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. All right, the anguish, meaning the time that he was in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane, 
um, in such anguish that he was bleeding uh, drops of blood. Out of his anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. All right, this is clearly Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he, in turn, shall divide the spoil with the strong. All right, the strong is defined of those that now is defined as those who now have become strong because of what Jesus Christ has done. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil among the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the trans transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. So when Paul jumps back to the Old Testament here, if you look back in Ephesians 4, and he says, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, Old Testament reference, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, All right, meaning that Jesus Christ conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered and, and was victorious over all sin, and he gave gifts to men. Meaning when Jesus Christ won the day, when he defeated sin and death, that as a result of that, he then gave gifts to men. And who are men? He's speaking of the saints here. He's speaking of those of us that have accepted him as Savior. He's not talking about, in general, mankind, but specifically the body of Christ. Again, verse 7, But grace was given to each of us. This grace that it's speaking of here is not the grace that is simply defined as unmerited favor, but this grace he's speaking of is referring to gifts, the spiritual gifts that we all have, that we are supposed to be using as we participate in, the, in, a, in, in walking in a manner worthy of the calling in the body of Christ. But grace, gifts, was given to each of us, each of you, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but gifts were given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Meaning that Jesus Christ did not give us all the same gifts, that he did not give us all gifts in the same portion, but rather in his sovereignty, he measured out gifts to his followers as, as a victorious, conquering king, uh, gives gifts to those when he returns back to his home country. Romans chapter 12, verses, uh, verse 3, says this. Romans chapter 12, again, this is the same author, Paul, speaking to a different audience. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, see the verbiage there? For by the grace given to me, that's the same thing that it says in Ephesians 4, verse 7, but the grace was given to each of us, okay? So Paul is saying, for the gifts given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's the same, the same verbiage in verse 7. Each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So we have, been, we have been dealt, we've been portioned, we've been measured certain spiritual gifts that just look different than other people within the body. But we all have them. Verse 4 in Romans chapter 12. For, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many 
are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6. Having, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. Okay, same, same wording. According to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Verse 7. If service in our serving. And the one who teaches in his teaching. And the one who exhorts in his exhortation. And the one who contributes in generosity. And the one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Again, all of this is speaking specifically in the context of the body of Christ, not outside the body of Christ. Um, I, I, want, I want to focus on that fact. That, that, that the text here is all speaking about us within the body. I, I think that so often it is easy to redefine or disassociate the, the vivid command of believers to be incredibly active in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not just talking about doing church stuff, all right? But that we contribute to the body and the body contributes to us, all right? That we don't just come, but that we are active in contributing and actually using these gifts that Jesus Christ has specifically given us. This is not just a broad you know, hey, you all need to be serving somewhere. But we need to be taking the things that we are gifted and, and good at, and maybe you don't know what that is. All right? that's, another, that's another talk. But we, we can learn what those things are. And taking them and using them as a contribution to the body. Because this text welds our growth directly with the body of Christ. That if we want to grow, it's going to be in the body. If we want to become more Christ-like, Christ is the head of the body. And so we need to become more and more attuned and part of and contributing to the body of Christ. If there isn't a distinction here, there isn't a separation. So all of this that we just read in Romans chapter 12, it goes through all these things and gives great commands of, of loving and hold fast to what is good, love one another, outdo one another in showing honor, don't be slothful. This is all speaking in the context of the body of Christ. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 10 says that he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. Paul really just breaks into a little bit of commentary here, all right, explaining what he, uh, Psalm 68 is saying. The last phrase in verse 10 says that he, meaning Jesus, might fill all things. That Jesus Christ, who has done the work on the cross, is doing it not to just fill our tanks half full, but that there is completion in mind. That when we become part of the family of God, that when we become uh, part of the body, that, that we, when we become equipped, our, we've answered the question, what are we to do? 
walk in a manner worthy. How? Patience, love, gentleness, eager to maintain the spirit. Why are we supposed to do these things? Because of the, the, the example that we see in the Trinity and all the one statements. And verses 7 to 10 really show that we're equipped to do so. That we are not given gifts to just pocket, you know? We are not given gifts to say, um, I have this, uh, this talent that I will maybe use for my own growth and for the growth of the body. But that we are given gifts with an expectation to use them. We're seeing that in the, in the, uh, in the parable of the talents, you know? Who, who, who's the bad guy in the parable of talents? The guy who takes his talent and buries it, doesn't use it. It's not talking about him wasting it, it's just talking about him not using it, you know? But but the one who does use the talent that the master has given is the one who is then given more and prospered all the more. That's what I want in my walk with Christ. I, I want to be prospered, and I'm not talking about health and wealth here, but I want to see growth in my walk with Jesus Christ. And if I want to see growth in my walk with Jesus Christ, it must be in conjunction with my role in the body of Christ here. <clears throat> and the glory that we see in that is Christ isn't going to let it go. That he's going to finish the work. Verse 11 says, And he gave, meaning Jesus, and he gave really as gifts to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and pastors, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That some of the gifts that God gave are, are specified here, not all the gifts. There are more gifts specified in Romans chapter 12 that we just read. But some of the gifts that we have are through the apostles, which is what we're reading right now. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that the word of God is a gift to the body of Christ, a great gift. That we have people here within the body of Christ, uh, people like Buster, that we can lead that we can follow as he leads, that he can explain the scriptures to us, that he is a gift to the body. Not only living, but people who have passed. You know, you think of somebody like Calvin or Spurgeon. These are gifts to the body of Christ that are specifically given by the conquering victorious Christ for his own body. And now we can still read it in our morning and evening app. You know, these are gifts to the body of Christ. And there are big gifts and there are smaller gifts, but they're all part of the body. You've read that text over and over. You know, you've got the ear, you've got the eye, you've got the foot, and you can't separate them. You know, you can't have, I mean, if, if you have a, a fully functioning hand, but it's by itself sitting there in the middle of a football field, it is worthless. You know, you need the whole in order to accomplish God's plan of his body of Christ here on this earth. And he has given these gifts to equip the body. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 is in the middle of a sentence. He's given these specifics. Why? To prepare the body, to equip the body, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ, one in the same. I think if you're just flippantly reading through this text, you can read the statement and say, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Sometimes we define the ministry as, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to go serve in um, the hot dog ministry, which is a great thing. I'm going to go and serve in vacation Bible school, which is a really good thing. You know, I'm going to go and serve in X or Y or Z. But it's making a distinction here. To equip the saints in the work of the ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ must be built up first if we're going to show the world what the body of Christ is about. 
Does that make sense? I mean, I know that makes sense. Um, if I want to be an example of, of a good father, then I must first be a good father, you know? If, if you want to coach um, a team, you need to know how to play the sport well, you know? If you want to help somebody learn how to get their finances in order and get out of debt, you need to have your finances in order and, 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 and be out of debt, you know? If, if, if you want to teach somebody um, accountability and teach the scriptures, then you need to have accountability in your life first. You know, so the body of Christ is only the body of Christ. Is it, it can only work outside the body of Christ when the body of Christ inside is healthy. And so that's why Paul is saying, listen, this needs to come first. Before you go out and serve, you've got you to be contributing and giving and growing and thriving here first. Because what we don't need is we don't need a super talented Peyton Manning going out there trying to win this and roll by himself. Because it's just not going to happen, first of all. It's not very effective. You need the team behind you. And that then will be the thing that most changes the world. John, chapter 13, verse 35, says this. By this, all people, meaning all people outside the body of Christ, all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another, which is what all of this is screaming. If you're, if you're going to be humble with each other, like it says in, in Ephesians 4, 2, if you're going to be patient, if you're going to be gentle, if you're going to bear with one another, you're going to do it in love. Because it says in Ephesians 4, verse 2, with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. That there are people within this body of Christ that are not easy to be around. There are people in this body of Christ that you may not agree with all their doctrine. There are people in this body of Christ who have different personalities than you do. But we are called and commanded, and it really it is a demand for those of us that are Christ followers, that we are humble and patient and gentle, and that we do so in love, so that this body can become a Super Bowl winning body. That that is what we are called to do. Verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 4. First we said, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? Why are we supposed to do it? And then how are we equipped to do it? And starting in verse 13 through the end of this text, it answers the question, until when? <laughs> you know, At what point do we think that we're good enough? At what point are we, are we Super Bowl worthy? At what point ha have we won? Verse 13, until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and in de in de in deceitful schemes that we are called to do this until we are complete until we reach full maturity. And, and it's a logical question to be like, eh, but we won't. <laughs> you know? Like, what? Like, we're never going to be. It's almost like saying, you need to play, um, if, if you're going to win the Super Bowl, you need to play it perfectly. You know? No flags thrown on your team. You know, nothing. 
You know what that is? Impossible. <laughs> but what we do have, as we've seen through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, is that when we have been adopted as son and, sons and daughters of God, that we have been adopted into a greater plan. In, in chapter 1, it says a plan that was started before the foundation of the earth and a plan that will go and find its completion in the final judgment. And we are brought in in the middle. <laughs> that we are part of this big plan. The plan, wasn't, it's, 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 the plan isn't all about Danny. The plan is about redemption of God's creation and his glory, and then we are brought into that. And so it goes before us, and it goes away into the future. And that there will be a time when we will find completion. If, uh, Philippians 1.6 is a promise that he who began a good work in you, you know the rest? Will be faithful to complete it. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. At the end of verse 10, it says that he might fill all things. Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until you are fully like Christ. And the thing is, is that with this plan of redemption and we're still dealing in, the, in this fallen world in which you still have sin, that there is a hope and a promise of an eternal inheritance that says we will be made whole. And we will one day be made complete. It is not yet, but it is coming. And that is part of this one hope that we all, it's the same hope. The same hope that I have. The same hope that you have. It's the same one, which is why we're, we're united together in the body of Christ. Verse 14 says, so that we have all the, we, we, we're seeking to attain this level of perfection that we will not see yet, but we are, we are driving and striving and thriving for it, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 Again, Paul is speaking here. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. As we see in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Psalm 68, who is Christ leading as a result of his conquering victorious work on the cross captives and Paul is saying in Colossians here see that nobody then takes you captive see that nobody then is victorious over you see that nobody conquers you in these deceitful philosophies according to the human tradition in verse 14 of, of Ephesians 4 so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by the craftiness of deceitful schemes See that you are not, if, you, if, if, if we are given gifts by God, see that you are not then recaptured by the enemy and saying, oh, I have these gifts, but I'm distracted. You know? I, I see other things. And then what happens is, is essentially you're being conquered really by Satan. And then you become part of his train of captives. See that you don't become a captive. And I think that some of these deceitful um, 
tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, I think that these are way more simplistic than we give it credit. I think when you read this, and you read this kind of language, you know, wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, I think we think of things maybe like, you know, things that we already disagree with, you know, like Joel Osteen and, and health and wealth, or, or um, people who, have, you know, don't believe that Jesus is literally coming back, you know, or people who believe that, um, you know, the, the Old Testament rules don't no longer apply, and I've got the free, you know, we think of like major doctrinal issues like that, and sometimes I think that these waves and these winds that hit us are simple deceits that say it's good enough for me just to come to Sunday school in church and when I can community group you know I think that's wrong that that the engagement of the body means that you're taking the gifts that our conquering victorious Jesus has given you and you're using them that you are building this body that you are a part of that you are engaging this body not only participating but you're engaging that not only do you just sit in your community group so that you will learn, but that in, in your community group that you are the one that is helping make this healthy for other people. That you're not just coming and sitting in this class so that there's a teacher who could teach you, but that part of your role in this class is including and helping and, and loving and supporting and participating and greeting new people and, and using your gifts here. That you don't just uh, come to the Sunday morning worship service, but that you, you, that you are engaging it, that, that you are, are, are helping and serving within this body of Christ to accomplish the objectives of the church. That you're not just here on a roll. That's deceitful. And I think it's sinful. And it doesn't lead to growth. It doesn't lead to Christ-likeness. And it doesn't, it doesn't unify the body and it doesn't help the body grow. It doesn't do any of those things, which are the very things that Paul is calling the believers to do. Verse 15. Verse 14 is all these things that you're not supposed to be held captive by. Verse 15 in Ephesians 4 says, Rather, instead, speaking the truth in love, okay? Again, at the beginning it says, do all these things in love. So verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way that he might fill us. We are, we are to grow up until we attain to the unity. We are to grow up, meaning that we are to progress in our, in, in our involvement in the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about you just getting busier with the work of the church. I'm not, this, is not a, this is not a lesson about how you need to get busier with stuff. But that we are supposed to grow in our ability to contribute and grow in our ability to receive from the body of Christ to make it stronger. We are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus Christ, who is the head into Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Jump back to verse 12 real quick. <laughs> Jump back to verse 12. It says, to equip the saints. That gifts were given by Jesus Christ to equip the body. In verse 16, it says that we, verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together the glue by every joint, which is a gift from God, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. How again? 
in love. If you want growth, it's going to happen through the body. You know? If you want your walk with Jesus Christ to progress from, from one step to another, it can't be separated from the body. And this type of stuff is the type of stuff that we're seeking to do to help you with that. The text says that we are supposed to be humble and patient in love. We're, sp- we're supposed to speak the truth in love. That we're supposed to build each other up in love. And I don't think that you can love somebody if you don't even know their name, you know? And that's not a chastisement. That's just the fact that, hey, we're a big group, you know? It's hard to know everybody's name in here. And the way to learn names is not just to sit here on Sunday morning. You know, that's why I want us to do stuff together. That's why we're doing Connect. That's why we're having a Super Bowl party. Again, I'm not offended if if you have another party to go to. I'm just saying that we're doing these things intentionally so that we can begin with step one, that we can get to know each other more. But then we can have opportunities of service, like in the Czech Republic, or through the work of the church, through the global impact. Um, and so that we can help to develop the things that we're doing here so that this body will grow, i.e. you, so that you will grow. And I think that if you're looking at your life and you're seeing either a desire of, of growth or a lack of growth, um, I think that part one of the answer is that there needs to be maybe a higher level of the body speaking into your life or maybe you serving in, in, in some way or, or, or maybe taking a different, even, even just maybe a different role in something like a community group, you know? Lauren and I, when uh, we're in a community group right now, and we were driving home one night and we said, you know what? We take prayer requests every week. We don't pray for anybody in our group. And like, because we were talking about, like, we want this group to be meaningful. That's what we said, you know? We want this group to be something that's, uh, you know, that, that we really are building community in this microcosm of the body. And we, it was a little slap in the face to us of like, that is one tiny step. But just recognizing that, uh, that we can interact more. And you know what happens when you pray for people is you, is you begin to love them. <laughs> you know? It's not like you hated them before. But boy, when you're praying for them... And maybe, that, that maybe it's those little steps that you can take in order to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling of which, of which you've been called. You know, we're not alone. We were never designed to be. That was never God's intention or his plan. We're called to be a part of a body. And, and as you, being a part of this local body, this is where we're called to, to, to be and to serve and to engage at deeper and deeper levels. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that we are not left alone. Father, I thank you that we are not supposed to be an island and we're not supposed to be a single player against an entire team. Father, that there is is strength and purpose and design and growth and victory through unity and community of the body. And Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, I ask that this young adult group would represent that with excellence. In Jesus' name, amen.